Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Red Sox On Deck Podcast. This is episode number 33. I'm your host, Bob Osgood. I have a great show today, starting with my usual host, Shelly Verstraight. Shelly, good to talk to you. How did the trade deadline treat you this year? Um, I guess it was kind of sort of okay. Um, just basically, as a, as a fan, I was a, I was a little disappointed, but I get it. But I'm on vacation for my 9 to 5 this week, so everything is totally fine. Where are you going? I would imagine that uh, that your dog Soto was generally pretty happy about how the week went. So, Yeah, I'm just looking for the next like uh, Padres dog jersey so I can put Soto in that. <laughs> Soto or Silo, so you're well on your way. Well, the weather out there is much nicer too, so I don't blame them for being happy about that. 100%. Hey, Ian Cundell is here. He is the uh, director of scouting at SoxProspects.com and also the, the co-host of the Sox Prospect podcast along with Chris Hatfield. Um, Ian, thanks for joining us. Did I did I get everything right? Anything else you want to plug to start things off today? Uh, no, I, I think you nailed it. Um, that was a very nice introduction. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's good to be back. I, I think it's almost a year to the date. Oh, close enough. We'll just go yeah. with it since I last was on, so I'm glad to uh, be back and be talking shop again. Yeah, we did this a year ago. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it's good having you on after the draft. I think the insight and, you know, just a hat tip to, to your podcast, you and Chris do a great job kind of explaining this, you know, a lot more in-depth than we'll go into today, so highly recommend that podcast as well. Um, in terms of the Over the Monster podcast, if you can leave us a five-star rating and review on whatever platform that you listen to that would be greatly appreciated we've got the the red seat with jake and keaton and we've got the the pre-cap that bailey is on as well um and you know we've got the over the monster podcast it's on a, a bit of a hiatus right now as we're changing the site manager but a lot of good things to come later this summer and in the fall at the over the monster site so 
Um, Ian, Shelly, we're going to start things off with the MLB draft that just happened. And going through the, the first day of picks, we'll start there and then kind of take a, a break and go over those. Mikey Romero was the first round pick uh, at number 24. And he is from Orange, California, Lutheran High School. Um, the second pick was Cutter Coffee was the second round pick. And Roman Anthony, the 79th pick, was also in the second round. And they did have an extra second round pick this year as a result of the, the Judd Fabian non-signing a year ago. And then they lost one of their second round picks as compensation for the Eduardo Rodriguez um, as well. So they ended up having three on the first day. Um, you know, a bunch of prep bats, which is similar to what they've done in the last couple of years. I know, Ian, it's not easy to, to break down uh, these players in 2022, right? And we need to see three, four years to know if these guys are successful. I guess kind of my first take was that, you know, you, you look at the boards on places like Baseball America and Pipeline, and you see that, that Romero was in the 60s and 70s on some of these lists. And I know that the Red Sox draft board is going to be a lot different than that. You know, the Bill Belichick approach, who cares what everybody thinks? I'm just going to draft the players that we want. But um, what was your overall take on what they did on the first day between Romero and Coffey and Anthony? Um, and then a little later on, we'll kind of get into the, the details on the bonuses of those three players. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, they definitely played into the, the meme that all they're going to draft in the first round is middle infielders out of Southern California because they went back to that well again, which I thought was pretty entertaining. Um, and it made my – I said, I think, on the podcast uh, just jokingly, like we were trying to predict like who was going to get picked there. And obviously, who knows? It's You know, it's tw- picking at 24 is quite difficult. And I think I made a passive like comment about how oh, I should just pick some California middle infielder. And, of course, they did that with their first two picks. So right. joke's on me. I probably should have. But um, – yeah, I, I think that it's an interesting group because I, I think they're they're pretty different players. I think the first uh, the first pick, Mikey Romero, is kind of the safer of the three or the safest of the three. And I, I think with Coffee and Anthony, those are kind of more upside plays. And you know, obviously, there's going to be some risk when you're drafting from the prep uh, hitter ranks, but I, I think that the Red Sox feel very comfortable with their scouting of of that type of talent. And I think. Frankly, they, they've had a pretty good track record of drafting those guys and developing them over the last couple of years. You, know, you look at, obviously, Marcelo Meyer last year. He, that was kind of a no-doubt pitch or no-doubt pick. But you go to the year before, like Nick York was obviously you know less highly regarded. They were pretty comfortable with their valuation there, and it seems like so far they were right with their, even though he's had his struggles this year. Um, you go back to 2018 when they took Tristan Costas in the first round, same thing. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting group. I think it injects a lot of uh, a lot of talent into the the low minors, uh, uh, which is already a pretty deep group as it is. But um, yeah, it's it's obviously risky. You know, there's it's gonna take some uh, take a while to see the fruits of this draft on the hitting side. So yeah, um, I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, and um, you know, my my first thought was kind of from two years ago the the york signing or the york pick early and then the blaze jordan a little bit later you know with with somebody that ended up they moved some money around to give a player a little more later um which we're gonna talk about in a second but that was kind of my my first thought with anthony being such a uh has some swing and miss 
but a ton of raw power. And you hear some some stories about him showing that off a little bit in some wood bat showcases. Um, Romero being a little more hit tool. Obviously, in that year, they had a pick taken away, but Coffee being the one in between, who, on some lists, again, closer to 100, but it seems like it wasn't surprising that he was a second-round pick, that, um, you know, if he didn't go there, that they probably wouldn't have got him with the next pick. Has a little more power than Romero, but might project as a third baseman eventually as he gets a little bigger, whereas Romero has a better chance to stay at shortstop. Um, is that kind of your understanding? And I guess my second question is with Coffee. is there any chance that we see them try as the two-way player? As I know that he originally was scouted with on the pitching side as well. I, I think that they, when they talked about it in the post-draft stuff that um, they were going to, he was only going to be a position player. So I think that seems like the route they're going with him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would agree. I, I think coffee is more kind of like the traditional guy who outgrows shortstop and has to move to the corners. Whereas Romero is known a little more for his glove. Um, and if he, you know, he's pretty good chance he can stick at shortstop. And if he has to move off, he's going to second base. He's not going to third base like coffee. Um, but yeah, I, I think that those two, they, they can definitely like play together and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they just went straight to third base with coffee though. Um, that's unclear. I mean, we'll find out once they start playing. Cause um, they're obviously going to want to get Romero a lot of reps. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that's your, you're pretty uh, spot on with your interpretation of those two picks. Okay. Um, Shelly, I guess anything that, that any thoughts that you have from the first day and, you know, also we were talking a little bit before the show about Judd Fabian and just thoughts a year later on that. Um, what did you, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of, like, want to get your thoughts about, like, with Judd Fabian, because, I mean, you know, he didn't sign um, with the Red Sox last year, and I, I always kept tabs on what he was doing, um, you know, in his, like, last year in college. And, you know, he was drafted with the 67th pick, so in, like, the second round. Um, and, you know, we went with Miro and Coffee. um... What do you think about, like, Judd Fabian? Do you think that he's just... Is is it a good thing that we didn't necessarily sign him? Or what do you think about that? Fabian is, is the kind of profile I actually kind of like to avoid in the draft. I'm not very... I think the track record of developing, you know, the big power, a lot of swing and miss, low average guys in, call, in, in the college level is pretty poor. Um, I think back to like someone like Jaron Kendall, for example, was a first round pick by the Dodgers. He came with kind of that same label, and I, I don't think he's much of a prospect anymore. Um, and I, I think that 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 was kind of my concern with Fabian is obviously, and I think other teams had that concern because you saw, and I think he only signed for a million dollars this year, so you know he cost himself over a million bucks by going back to college for a year. Um, so I, I think it worked out fine. You know, they they he, they lost him. They ended up getting coffee. Um, you know, coffee. It seems like has has similar power potential, but you know he's he's further away. But I think it's easier to dream on a high schooler with some swing and miss issues figuring it out than it is for a college. You know, a college hitter who's got a longer track record of struggling to make contact. So I, I think in the end it ended up working out. You know, fine for the Red Sox. I, I don't think they're that bothered, and I think that's why they're willing to take the risk and taking um, Fabian where they did last year, even knowing you know he wanted that three million dollar bonus from the Orioles that they had they could always fall back on getting a pick this year and that's just what they ended up doing yeah 
bit of a tough break thinking that he was going to get three going into that draft last year and ending up close to a million. So <laughs> didn't exactly work out uh, in his favor if he had eventually fall, uh, fallen to the Orioles last year, as that was rumored. Um, looking at, I think, something that you helped with last year that is really interesting is where the money ends up landing for the bonuses um, and how that works with the slotting. I mean, you look at Mikey Romero. He was the 24th pick. He received $2.3 million. Roman Anthony was the 79th pick, and he received $2.5 million. With coffee in between um, those two picks, getting the least of the three at $1.8. Um, can you break that down a little bit, kind of how that ends up happening, how Anthony gets more money than as a, a sandwich pick between the second and the third or a compensation pick, as opposed to Romero, who's the 24th pick uh, in the first round? Yeah, it's it's definitely counterintuitive, and I think it, I think it especially is a little confusing when you look at the NFL and the NBA draft, which are, I think are probably two more popular for the general public. Um, don't they don't have those sort of issues where people fall because of signing demands? Right. But basically, you know, when when you're looking at a dra the draft, the two things that matter the most um, is well, the first one is leverage, um, and it's you know both the team and the player. And when you start with someone like Romero, Romero. What obviously was drafted uh, higher than where he was ranked on like the MLBBA PG like lists like that, but the Red Sox were pretty confident that he would be picked before forty one if they uh, if they didn't take him at twenty four. They clearly really liked the talent, so they figured you know we'll take a guy we really like. They probably have him ranked you know around that area, but we'll get him for under slot because you know he's probably not going to get drafted this high by any other team. Whereas some with someone like Anthony, they probably had a pretty good feeling that he wasn't going to get picked in that area. But at the same time, he's got some leverage because he's got a commitment to Old Miss, and he, you know, he frankly was like, I'll, "I'm fine going to college unless I get this number." And so, you know, they were able to grab him a little later, um, and obviously he had the leverage and got that big bonus. But with the Red Sox, it mitigates some risk when they do that because let's say at the 79th pick they ended up not signing him, then they would get that they'd only lose 820 thousand of their slot. Whereas if they took him in the first round, they would have lost that full like three million dollar slot. Sure. And that impacts the rest of your draft. So that's why, you know, and it's similar to why you saw with Brooks Brandon, they didn't take him in like the third round. They took him in the ninth round is, you know, you don't want to risk losing that guy and losing that slot. But if you're going to lose it, you want it to be as little slot as possible that you can lose. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good segue. You know, Brandon is probably, you know, on, on the second day, the most interesting pick. He went in round nine. I know a year ago they used round 11 for Nico Cavadas, um, and that was kind of their swing for the fences where, you know, hopefully you can get a high school player uh, to not go to college and give them a little more in one of those middle rounds. Uh, he's a catcher uh, from North Carolina, already six foot one, two ten. Seems like he's, you know, physically maxed out from uh, with a lot of raw power. So, you know, probably closer to a Roman Anthony type of risk, but maybe in the middle rounds. I know that they gave him what, close to a million, seven hundred and twelve thousand, which was was way over slot there. Yeah, that was an interesting pick because they, the, uh, for the most part, you know, as we saw with the rest of those picks in the sixth to tenth round, that's usually where you're taking those seniors who have no leverage, so you can just sign them for you know ten k or so, sure. and bank that slot money for the other picks. But um, they took him in the ninth round and. You know he was he was ranked. I think they gave him they gave him about third round money, which is pretty, which was a little more than he was um, where he was like projected to go. But again, you know he had a pretty good commitment. North Carolina is a good school and a good baseball school, 
And um, yeah, he's an interesting guy. I, I, you know, it's it's an interesting profile. The the maxed out physically catcher, high school catcher, especially right, right. Not the best, you know, track record with those guys uh, around baseball, but you know, he's got some tools that you like. He's got a good arm. He's got a good power. You know, if he can kind of figure it out hitting wise, then you you could figure out the defense later. And I think that's kind of the idea with him is like come in, hit well enough, and we'll figure out a position for you. And if it's catcher, great. And if it's not, you know, if you hit enough, we'll figure out a different one for you. But, I mean, they clearly, you know, if you're going to give him that kind of bonus, you think he at least has a chance to stick at catcher. So that was definitely an interesting pick. But, you know, when they clearly, as, as we saw, planned for that. You know, they planned to have that money around. So whether they took him in the ninth round or the 11th round, I, I think that, you know, it's more it's more or less the same thing. Shelly, any uh, other interesting, you know, whether it's from the second day or other notable picks that, that were your takeaways from the, the Red Sox draft this year? So I would really like to get, like, like just pick your brain on the, the Rodgers and Dean pick. Like, I, I don't think that they're starters. I honestly think that they're relievers. Like, Watching this draft, I wasn't necessarily, like, blown away with a lot of, like, you know, Major League stuff. So, do you think that Rodgers and Dean are, like, Major League talent? Or are we just drafting some interesting guys here? I I think that what the Red Sox, I I think their approach to drafting pitching is pretty unique. Um, They they look for certain characteristics, and I I think they're fine drafting someone who only has like one pitch work or two that at the moment look like, you know, with potential. And I I think that's what they really leaned on this. Um, You know, with like Dalton Rogers, you're talking about someone who, um, yes, they're undersized. He's undersized. I think he's listed at like 5'11. But um, his fastball has some really good uh, characteristics good carry vertical break things like that and was able to miss bats in college and and I think they think that you know with that it can translate um, pretty well to professional baseball and I think that's the biggest thing is you know there there are certain characteristics for every pitch that teams are looking for with whether it be fastballs you know I think with sliders it's the new you know looking for the high spin rate or the new like sweepy shape is all the trend with that um, you know, there's just, just various things. And I think that each of these pitchers that they took kind of like checks one of those bo- boxes. And in Dean's case, um, you're talking about someone who has, you know, really good fastball. Again, you know, he's up to a hundred since in the mid nineties, um, again, was missing bats in the college, but he's got to work on his command and control work on his change up. Uh, cause he really only threw his breaking ball and, but it, which did flash some plus potential too. And, and I think that, you know, they're, they're just trying to identify guys in that middle tier that they can get in with their pitching development staff and, you know, get better. And I think they've done a pretty good job of doing that, you know, raising the talent and developing those kind of mid-tier drafted pitchers into more than what they were when they were drafted. And and I think that that's what they're looking for here is, you know, they have a couple of traits that they can work with and then they think they can kind of like improve the other aspects of their game that they might be weaker in. I was looking after the first day, um, you know, there's a couple that, that didn't sign. But after the first day, there were 15 draft picks that signed, and 12 of those were pitchers, one shortstop, one catcher, one outfielder. And 11 of those 12 pitchers were college pitchers. So, you know, it seems like they went with a quantity approach. I know a lot of those were, you know, really lower bonuses. Um, but, you know, do you think there's anything to that? Is it, you know, let's get a quantity of pitchers and hope that we can make some adjustments and a couple of them hit in total that was just kind of when i looked after the first day it was like you know it's not quite as drastic as 
the Angels taking pitchers in all 20 rounds last year or something like that. But they, they went pretty heavy on that after after the first two rounds. Yeah, I, I think that um, they kind of just – they have, like, types of players they look for. And it seems like they've pretty much eliminated, like, the high school pitching bracket from their, their draft, um, at least for now. You know, yeah, obviously it could change. One, right? Yeah, um, they've only taken one in, like, the last three years. Yeah. Um, but – with college pitching, I think it kind of just goes back. Like, look at Brandon Walter, for example. Walter was someone they got for 20K, had a couple interesting things. They brought him into the dev program. His velo took off, and, you know, now he's considered a top 10 prospect in the system. And I think that with college pitching, it's just easier to find those guys and kind of, like, turn them into something. I mean, another orc that I think does something similar is, like, you look at the Dodgers. The Dodgers, obviously, you know, they have a really well-run organization. They go out and they draft, like, these guys like Nick Nastriani, like Emmett Sheehan in the late, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. And, you know, within a year, they're both, they're all, like, legit prospects. You know, Gavin Stone, Michael Grove, like, the list goes on and on. Right. And, and I think that's kind of what the Red Sox are leaning into is, like, if we can draft pitchers that we, like, you know, one or two things on, that's our best chance to get an ROI with them and kind of, like – turn into a potential major leaguer whereas the odds of getting like an impact you know high schooler after the 10th round high school bat who's willing to sign and is going to turn into a major leaguer i think is low so i I think it's just you know it's just kind of like the pool of talent that there's the most available and that there's the best chance of turning into you know a usable least organizational piece and potentially a major leaguer sure Uh, that's that's very interesting um and yeah i you know, you just have to look at the list, and, and there really aren't any high school player uh, pitchers on there, and there haven't been for a while. Um, any other notables? Anything else you want to throw out there, uh, either of you, really, um, about the draft? Any any takeaways or you know, anything on the second or third day, I should say, that, um, you know, any other notable players to highlight? Um, yeah, not really. I mean, I think Hayden Mullins is pretty interesting just because they, they've tended to do this like once or twice each year. And it's draft someone who just had Tommy John or is recovering from Tommy John surgery. And he had it, I think, in May. Right. Um, but he was a pretty highly regarded kid coming out of high school, went to obviously Auburn, um, was one of their better pitchers. And then just obviously he, he had to have, he heard of, hurt himself this year and had Tommy John surgery. But, you know, they, they've taken a few guys like that. Like last year they took Hunter Dobbins, who's someone who's just making his return now and is, is throwing in Salem right now and is very interesting. Um, and then they've taken a few other guys like that. So I, I think that was an interesting pitch pick and something that uh, is definitely worth watching given the track record they have with kind of those guys who maybe he goes a little earlier if he could pitch the whole season as, you know, Auburn's Friday starter in the SEC. But, right. yeah. Yeah, and so Mullins went in the 12th round. He did, yeah. From Auburn, so. All right. Um, well, we appreciate that. Uh, I do want to move on. We're going to get back into some more prospect talk in a few minutes and kind of talk about the, the rankings at the Sox Prospects website. But first, you know, we're, we're recording a day after the trade deadline, and it was certainly an interesting trade deadline, for better or worse. Um, going through the different moves, I'm sure most of you have heard about this by now, but Christian Vasquez, the catcher, is heading to Houston for uh, infielder, outfielder Emmanuel Valdez, and outfielder Willier Abreu, two prospects. Um a player to be named was sent to Cincinnati for outfielder Tommy Pham. Right, uh, relief pitcher Jake Diekman heading to Chicago for catcher Reese McGuire and a player to be named or Cash. And then Jay Groom going out to San Diego in return for Eric Hosmer, but not Eric Hosmer's contract. And then a couple of prospects, outfielder Corey Rozier and second baseman 
Max Ferguson. And uh, Shelly, I know you talked a little bit on the Red Seed Pod yesterday and possibly a little more passionately, but if you want to kind of give your uh, one-minute summary of, of your thoughts on, on the trade deadline for the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, I, I I really didn't like it um, because they really did not help, like, the everyday uh, team. Um, I mean, we're bringing in, you know, Tommy Pham, Reese McGuire. You know, I won't get you know, started on them, you know, just Eric Hosmer, just kind of, eh, milk toast. Like, I, I, I don't really know what it does for my everyday Red Sox, you know, uh, you know, watching them every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, there were interesting guys that we got back, but nothing really, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I just feel kind of meh about everything. And yeah, I, that's honestly what I feel about just, I, I didn't really like it. I don't know where we improved at all, honestly. Yeah. It seemed like they, uh, kind of sitting on the fence a little bit. I thought that they were going to sell when I saw the Vasquez move. And then when fam came back in, I'm like, Oh, well he must have a contract for next year. Oh, he doesn't. So, they're not selling, you know, it was a little bit of both. And um, I thought that most of the fan base is, I don't think that they would be generally pissed off if they sold this year because they were three games out. There had been just such a poor stretch leading up to the trade deadline. And at least I personally don't think they have much of a chance to make the playoffs because they haven't won a series against a division rival the whole year. And those are a lot of the teams that they're chasing. So it's tough for me to find you know, the games that they're going to win to make up that ground and pass three teams. I, I think the Hosmer move makes sense. It's low risk. They didn't have to um, spend on that contract. It seems to me almost like if they wanted to pay, you know, half or part partial contract that maybe San Diego would have attached a prospect. But once they sent all of their prospects to, to Washington, they probably wanted one back. So they... They spent that money on Hosmer's contract. They landed Jay Groom, who it's been a long, strange trip with him, and we can talk about that in a little bit, uh, and got a couple of, of lesser prospects back, although I did see uh, Ferguson ranked a little bit higher uh, with Baseball America. So he was an interesting prospect to get back in that deal, a second baseman. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I found it a little underwhelming. I thought that Tommy Pham actually was a really interesting name in, in May when it was clear that, there was an incomplete roster and that the Red Sox were short an outfielder and a relief pitcher. And when the Reds were three and 21, I was looking at their roster and saying, thinking that Tommy Pham might be a good addition in May. And it just kind of felt like uh, too little too late. So I'm not saying I would have sold everybody, you know, Vasquez, Valdi, Martinez. I don't think I would have sent the whole lot out, especially with the qualifying offer coming back. Now that there isn't an international draft, that was my, my thought that they can still potentially sign one of those guys long-term or get um, a pick back. So I just thought they should have generally sold and not sat on the fence with that one. Um, Ian, what did you think about the trade deadline? I I think it was more or less, they just kind of rearranged the deck chairs. Um, I think they got better at first base and right field uh, or outfield, I guess, because Verdugo's moving to right. So, but um, they got better at first base and right field, which I think were their two weakest points this year. They got a little worse at catcher. 
And so, yeah, it's kind of like I think they're a better team than they were a week ago. But I also think that they're kind of banking on, you know, the players coming back. Um, you know, they'll get like Devers came back, obviously made a big difference in the series against Houston. Hopefully they'll get some of the other guys back in the next couple of weeks. Make a run at it. And I understand why they went that route. Um, I, I think that they probably weren't, you know, they definitely shopped guys like JD and Evaldi, but they weren't able to get an offer that they deemed substantial um, to incentivize them to move it. As you said, they can also fall back on the pick or they can, you know, and, or they can, as you said, try to resign them in the off season. So they had that as the fallback. And I think that it's just, it kind of pushed out everything, you know, the decisions that needed to be made are just now going to be made in the off season rather than at the deadline. And if they can make a, you know, maybe they make a run in the playoffs like they did last year, who knows, but I think that, you know, I don't think they're as good as, you know, that top-level team. But I, I still think if they can get in the playoffs, they could be a tough out um, in the right matchup. Did you um, – my first thought when the, the Padres deal fell through um, with, with Hosmer involved, was your first thought that he was coming to Boston because it just felt like that would be the obvious first call that would be made after all the, the smoke over the last year or two? Oh, yeah, 100%. That made, made so much sense. and. I I, th- I understand what you were saying too. With like, it would have been nice to maybe they eat some of the money, the Red Sox eat some of the money and get better prospects. But I honestly think that they probably didn't want to have that because it's such a long term deal. Right. It's a lot easier to get off his contract when Casas is ready if it's you know minimum salary for three years after this year. And I honestly think that's kind of where it's at. Where like, th- instead of getting some prospects with him, they now think maybe you know if he plays well for. Sh- three months we can trade him in the offseason and get something back for him then given his contract is at the minimum and there definitely will be teams interested at that little i would think oh yeah uh, you, you would think i mean he's you could almost call him a bargain with the the stats that he has this year especially hitting against left-handers at the minimum salary so i mean and if you look at it like i think he would have the fourth highest wrc plus on the entire red Sox for the year like right and, and i think that's definitely a part of it is like their offense as a whole is really underperformed this year you know, other than Devers, just not a lot of guys are hitting up to their abilities. And, um, yeah, that's why, like, even just getting him is such a, I think, is still a pretty, is a decent-sized upgrade for them. And I think even if you were 10 games out, just the product that you were putting on the field at first base, especially defensively, I mean, I couldn't watch Franchi throw another hook shot into the dugout for another two weeks, and I, I don't think they probably felt great about giving that to their fans. So I feel like just someone that is going to, you know, has multiple gold gloves over there is going to make the routine play. Um, we'll keep our stress level down in general. So, um, you know, yeah, he, he might be an improvement at the plate, but I think defensively it'll make the team a lot more watchable um, on that side over the last two months of the season. Um, all right. Wanted to move on to talk about, you know, on – the SoxProspects.com website, which I highly recommend. You have the one through, what does it go to, 60 now? Um, that you yeah, 60. On the, on the main page. Yep. And it's all, it's, you know, been reformatted and has a nice look to it and uh, really easy to kind of comprehend where you have everybody and how they've moved up from your last rankings. And I don't believe you have the, the latest draftees in there yet. I'm sure you will probably on the next update, but the thing that, stuck out to me was that every time that I had gone uh, to your website in the last two, three years, Tristan Cassis was at the top and now Marcelo Meyer is at the top. So uh, for you, 
personally? Was there a moment or something that you said, okay, yeah, you know, Meyer is the number one prospect at this point, and it's time to make that move? I think that it just Meyer showed what I wanted to see enough from what I wanted to see from him to kind of push him above. And I really like Costas. I think it's like a 1A, 1B situation. But Meyer has the potential to be a shortstop, you know, there's just there's ways for him to add a lot of value that while I think Costas could be a really good defender at first base at the end of the day teams want up the middle guys I mean we see you know that is what goes in the draft that is what teams are searching for in trades they want as much up the middle talent as possible and if you told me you know in a trade I could have the choice of Marcelo Meyer or Tristan Costas I'm going to take Meyer because he's a potential shortstop Sure. And I kind of just reevaluated and reached the point where I saw enough for Meyer and got enough for glowing reports from scouts that it was time to make that switch. Yeah, and uh, pretty much doing what he should be doing as a 19-year-old. There's nine homers, 14 steals. I know he was out for some time with an injury, but 146 WRC plus and 61 games. And just seems, you know, this is what you would expect. And it seems like his defense is there, so... Yeah, he's very polished for his age, I would say. Yep. Uh, Shelly, over to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really just want to pick your brain on Brian Bayo, right? Like, he's number three on your list. Um, and he's had a rough go of it with in the major leagues. Um, you know, he was starting there for a bit, and he came in, um, you know, today out of the bullpen, and then sadly left with kind of like a bad injury uh a back injury um but what do you kind of think about bayo like do you think that he is a legit starter um and what do you think about his struggles in the major leagues so far i'm not really worried about his struggles uh so far and i i think today actually unfortunately obviously as you said he got hurt i think it was a groin is what they announced was the issue um but I thought he looked great today. You know, he was he was spotting his fastball, sinker, both of them in, like, at 97, 98 miles an hour. Um, you know, he had the slider going. He's throwing a couple of good change-ups. Like, I'm, I, I just think he wasn't ready when they called him up, and I think they, they didn't want to call him up when they did. But because of the injury issues they were having, they didn't really have a choice. And I think that we saw, you know, the raw stuff is tantalizing, but at the end of the day, the jump from AAA to the big leagues is, is probably as big as it's ever been. And if you can't command, and that's the, the weakest part of his game right now is his command, then you know, you're know you going to get hit. These are major league hitters, and they're going to make you pay. And I think that's just kind of he was a little in over his head. Um, he's obviously someone who is very confident, and I think he, he got a little too amped up. You know, you could see it. He was overthrowing in those initial starts, you know didn't really have feel for his secondaries like he would show in the minors and I, th- I think that it's something that with time would have improved and obviously hopefully this injury is not too anything too severe but um yeah long term I, I definitely I think he can start I, I think you saw you know the flash you'll see the flashes of it t- at times and even today like you know I know he gave up two hits there if you watch in the game they're both like weak ground balls on really good pitches and that's just going to happen, you know, if, if, if you're get, giving up, like, weak contact that turns into hits, there's nothing you can do. Like, you just tip your cap and you move on to the next hitter. And I think that long term, he still has that potential to be, like, you know, a mid-rotation guy. I just think that, you know, it's going to take, you know, a year or two. He, he's someone who, he started the year in double-A, and I think he only pitched, like, you know, 60, 70, 80 innings, or excuse me, 54 innings in, in Worcester this year. 
it's not a lot, you know, to be called up. So I, I think that he just um, he just got pushed a little aggressively by because they needed him. They didn't have anyone else, and I think that's yeah, I don't think it's impacting him long term at all. I think it's easy to forget that he was literally the ninth starter at the time that he got called up and was just turned twenty three, which is. Pretty, and, and, you know, he's getting some val- valuable experience. I thought he looked a lot more confident in the Milwaukee start, or I guess it was uh, he was the bulk pitcher in that game where he went close to five innings, and he was throwing more strikes, and he just looked a lot more confident in that game. Um, you know, I think this will all hopefully help him out long term, but you can you can see that the stuff is great. But as you said, you know, needs a little more time to be polished with the command and probably was rushed up there, so... I don't know, you know, the, the, the folks who don't pay attention to the minor leagues and just see the new, you know, phenom rookie prospect getting called up and then he has three poor outings, there's a lot more to that story and the, you know, what led to him even being called up in the first place. Exactly, um, and yeah, so. yeah, as you said that, you know, they just, the injuries were just brutal in July and that's the only reason he was up, you know, if they had their choice and if, you know, I think if you could ask them, they would have said we would have much rather he was, he was pitching consistently in Worcester for the last couple of months. Sure. Um, one player that I want to ask you about that you can't really uh, scout the, the stat line if you go on fan graphs uh, is Miguel Blaise, and he is now up as the number five prospect at Sox Prospects as an 18-year-old in the Complex League. As I said, you know, you, you look at, you know, his Fangrass page, he strikes out 30% of the time. He's hitting 271. He's got five home runs in 33 games. So that doesn't totally jump off the page, but I'm guessing there's more to the story with Blaise if he's already in the in the top five at your site. Yeah, I I think that, that with him, it's it's the fact that he, I would argue that he's performing that well as an eighteen year old is pretty impressive. Sure. Um, I, I, the strikeouts are a little high, but I'm not that worried about that. Um, I think that with him, it's just the tools are just they're just really impressive, and it's across the board. You know, we you talk you hear a lot about like five tool talents, and and I think in the Red Sox system, he would be the only one I would classify as that. Um, you know, if everything goes right for him, he's someone who is going to hit, he's going to hit for power, he's going to play good defense, he's got a good arm, and he's going to steal a bunch of bases and, you know, give you plus to better speed. And that's kind of like what you can dream on with him. Obviously, there's a long way to go developmentally. Um, there's a wide gap between what he could be and, you know, wh- what he is and what he could be. But if you see him, see him in person, I have, I, I've talked to a bunch of people who have, they, they all come back with, with glowing things to say because of just the raw ability is there and it's just a really impressive overall skill set and you know if you're just talking about straight ceiling you could make a case that he has he would be the first rank or that he has the most high ceiling of anyone in the organization but obviously there's just a lot of risk which is what what pushes him down a little bit but yeah i mean there's just so much to dream on with him ability wise that um you know, if if you told me in a few years that he was in the top three in the system, or, or like overall in the system, I'd be like, yeah, that's you can definitely see a pathway to that. And that's why you we have him seventh. So. so I totally misspoke about that. Myself. Yeah, it, it, he'll be higher. You you you're looking ahead because he's going to be in the top five next month. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's kind of like where we're at with him. You know, just the 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 feedback we're getting on him is very positive, and having seen him, uh, I was blown away when I saw him in spring training. So yeah, there's just a lot lot to like there. Sure, and, and you have him a notch above Sedan uh, Raffaella, which I think in you know nationally he's probably been the biggest riser 
in the system. Rafaela is eighth, but I know he was 19th on the list uh, on your last update, so a huge jump there. Um, but Blaze still higher, despite seeing Rafaela jumping into some top 100 lists and a couple other people, you know, going above and beyond that. Um, I think that one, by the way, is at the beginning of the season. That was his ranking. Okay, so 19th to start the season yeah. now, um, which is a huge jump and says a ton. And obviously with, you know, hitting for power and speed and infield, outfield defense, you know, you see just as much of that when you're in the Twitter sphere. Um, of yeah, his, his defense, there's some good ones out there. So, yeah, that seems to almost be as much of a carrying tool as he has. Um you know, any specific reason that you have, and I don't know if you personally, I know this is a collection of all your different rankings, but you personally have Rafaela below Blaze? I do, yeah. Um, I can tell you, I have him. Uh, I have Rafaela this month. Uh, I have him eighth, um, and uh, I have Blaze fifth right now. That might change. Um, but yeah, I, uh, and I think it was the same last month. Yeah, it was the exact same last month that I had Rafaela eighth in. I really like him as a player. He's someone, obviously, we were, I think, we had, we had him in the top 20 coming to the season. We had him 19th. Um, you know, we're, I think some other, he wasn't even on a lot of top 30s. So we, we were kind of in on him already. And um, the defense, he's done what I've expected defensively. He's, he's an excellent defense, defensive prospect. You know, you, you can, he's a good shortstop. He's a better center fielder. He can throw. He's got good instincts out there. Um, I, the thing that has surprised me is his offense has definitely been better than what I expected. And it's because he's doing it even kind of in spite of himself in a weird way, if that makes sense, where he's just super aggressive at the plate. And I think this is what's holding him back is the approach is just really rough. He's going up there and he's hacking. Um, doesn't take doesn't work counts, really. You saw, you know, walk rates like 4.5, 4.8%. Um, strikes out a decent amount. And he just really he, he expands the zone often. And, you know, as a result, he gets himself out a lot. You know, he makes a lot of weak contact because of that. Because he's got good hand, he's got good back control. He's got good hand eye. You know, if he swings at a breaking ball, it's you know six inches off the plate. He'll make contact. The problem is he'll just roll it over to the pitcher. Or, you know, he'll tap it to second base. And that's kind of what he needs to work on. Is he needs to really tighten up his approach and stop expanding the zone in order to allow him to you know do what he does best. Because he does have a he's got a good swing. He's got bat speed. He's got a little bit of pop for someone his size. It's just. He does himself a disservice when he's, you know, getting himself out and rolling over on pitcher's pitches. That's the thing he needs to learn is, you know, you gotta, you got to wait for balls in the zone that you can drive. And once he does that, I think that's the next step in his development. And for him to become, like, the prospect that I think a lot of people think he is, he needs to take that step with his approach and kind of his swing decisions. Um, and that's something that's just going to take time. So we'll see what happens there. But that's what's holding him back a little bit for me is that I'm just not sure where the hit tool and the power get to because of his approach and swing decisions. And it's a really interesting note because you, you know, if you just looked at his, his strikeout percentage, you know, at Double A, it's been about twenty percent, which is a good number. But that doesn't tell the whole story if there's, like you said, a weak ground ball to second, or he's chasing pitches out of the zone. So, um, you know, if you're you're in the stadium seeing that, that that's really helpful. Um, Shelly, who did you want to um, touch on or, or p- pick apart in the in the Sox prospects rankings? Oh uh, yeah, I, I just I, I really want to get um, your thoughts on Nico Cavadas uh, because he basically is just a guy who can just like extremely hit. Like he, you know, he came out of Notre Dame uh, just being able to just like hit, and he has just hit everywhere he has been. Um, do you think that this 
you know, Kavadas is actually like a dude, or is this just a really polished college guy just, you know, mowing down some inexperienced pitching? Uh, can I cheat and say a little bit of both? Ha, <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I, I, I do think that's what it is. Um, you know, he was a 23-year-old who started in low A. Like that, yeah, I yeah. would have hoped that you would destroy that level. And that's what he did. And he's gone up to Greenville and hit arguably better. And I think that there are definitely some legit uh, skills there. Like his raw power is, is really good. Um I think that he's got a really good batting eye. Like his walk rate, I think it's around 20% or so. That's legit. Like he doesn't chase at all. Um, he's got one of the lowest chase rates in the system. And he does a good job of like working counts. You know, he sees a ton of pitches per plate appearance. So, that, so that's definitely something you really like to see. Um, I do think, and he, he also can hit velocity. That's something he's kind of shown in the low minors. But these are all things that, you know, when you're almost a 24-year-old, you just you need to see them in the high minors. And I think that's that's the thing for me is that even though, you know, he's hit some velocity, there's still swing and miss in the zone. Um, he really struggles against left-handed pitching. Um, well, I guess, well, relative, obviously, compared to what he does against righties because against righties he's got like a, over 1,000 OPS. Whereas against lefties it's only like 871 or 876 or something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that, he just it's a tough profile it's the kind of profile that a lot of teams are kind of off of you know it's the the big slugging dh maybe first base type below average defender below well below average speed like that's just it's kind of like an antiquated profile in baseball um you know we've seen someone like the best version of it i would say is like a cj crone type and that person you know he's been on like four or five teams and got dfa'd after hitting 30 plus home runs in a season and that, that's what I think, you know, kind of holds him back and limits his value is, like, that's the best case there. You know, he he's someone who it's a bad body. It's, you know, there's no speed. There's no defensive value. So he's got a rake, and um, until he's doing it consistently at double A, it's one of those things that, like, you definitely keep an eye on it. But I, th- I think I just need to see it in the high minors against that better pitching that is more age-appropriate. Because, like, I, I was just looking at his uh, baseball reference page. He, he's got 92 plate appearances against pitchers older than him this year. And, um, you know, he's hitting 268, 435, 563 off them, which is, you know, that's that's pretty good. But against guys younger than him, he's hitting 312, 476, 673. So, you know, I would like to see him consistently, you know, get up to double A hopefully this year and kind of see that type of pit, more age-appropriate pitching and see what he can do because there are definitely some intriguing things. But um, there's I, it's just such a tough profile, and it's why even with how good his performance is, we still have him pretty far down the list is – at the end of the day, someone with that profile, you know, I'm going to take a guy who, like, uh, who I think, you know, has more upside, like an Edinson Paulino type, or even like a Connor Wong type, who I, I think could be a backup catcher. You know, that's just a more valuable player to me than, you know, someone who is, you know, a, maybe like a platoonish first baseman who can hit, you know, 20 home runs a year. So he's just, he's got his profile working against him. But if he keeps hitting, you know, it, 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 it those things tend to work themselves out, I will say. You love to see someone who gets called up to the, the higher level and actually improves their numbers across the <laughs> Yeah, his, his numbers, I was just looking at them, the, that they are. on base half the time. That's pretty decent. Yeah, they are absolutely insane. Like, <laughs> in Greenville, yeah, his OPS is 1224. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not bad. But like <laughs> you said, you know, double A probably is where the, the test will be, and hopefully we can see that this year. Um, 
Before we wrap up, I want to just talk about a couple of, of fallers, uh, folks that had prospects that had fallen down your rankings. Before I ask about a couple still in the system, uh, how much are you going to miss talking about Jay Groom on a weekly basis? Um, not not a lot, and I I think that the the tough thing with him was that he was such like a big name. He came with so much name recognition that that people. And kind of his pedigree carried him where he's just not the level of prospect that his pedigree would make you think he is, especially like given his numbers are okay. Um, It's just, and and I think part of it's not his fault. Like he came back from Tommy John surgery and his stuff was just down like a full grade across the board. And, you know, that's, I, I think it's kind of something that I will use as like a warning, you know, just where, you know, I think we often hear about people saying like, oh, just have Tommy John surgery. You'll be fine afterwards. It's not always the case. Yeah. It's not always the case. Like he, he had it done. He was, you know, I saw, I was at the outing where he got hurt, um, back in, what was that? 2017, 2018. Yep. Uh, 2018. He was like 94 to 96 was a 70 curveball, which is, it was insane. It was just excellent. And since he came back, you know, he used to be like, he was like 89 to 92. And like this year I saw him, he's like 88 to 90 in some outings. He's 89 to 91 and others. Like, you know, his velocity dropped off considerably. His curveball is just not as good as it used to be. You know, it's like an average-ish pitch now. It used to be, you know, a 65-70 pitch. Um, Changeup is average. Sliders below average. Like, it's just now he's a different type of pitcher. You know, before he was a two-pitch guy, more or less, with like a, they work on the changeup. You can dream on it. Now it's, you know, he's four 45 to 50 pitches with below average command. And at the end of the day, that, that type of profile is just not, that exciting and i think that's why the red sox are willing to deal him is that he's on the 40-man roster and last year would have been his last option year and i don't think that he was going to make it that long like he wasn't going to be ready to be up in the big leagues next year and i think they just saw that you know this is someone we know san diego likes we need the 40-man spot we're going to need the 40-man spot at some point let's try and get something valuable for him and in this case you know they were able to get eric hosmer who can they can plug and play at first base and not pay him anything. And then they got two, you know, flyer prospects who were last drafted last year and you push the rule five, you know, and 40 man considerations out several years with them. And so I, I think that, you know, dealing him makes a lot of sense in that regard. Sure. Uh, two other names that I had jotted down that are outside of the top 20 now, Jeter Downs and Hilberto Jimenez. Um, Downs we saw, he's been up and down a couple of times. I'm getting the vibe that he, you know, he he might be more just as a utility. He, he did flash some good defense. I I thought in the games that I was watching him that he was really confident defensively. You know, to my untrained eye, he seems like a a backup infielder, especially with all of the swing and miss and just how much of a roller coaster it's been the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know if you're seeing kind of a similar upside. And then the other one would be uh, Gilberto Jimenez, who. I think was in your top 10 a year ago, but just hasn't really shown a whole lot that jumps off the page uh, over the last two seasons after a lot of hype early on. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right with that. Um, With Downs, I just think that he's just not the player that I I honestly thought the Red Sox were acquiring. Like when they acquired him, I, I, you know, I heard he was like bad over glove. Um, there's potential hit, hit for power. And I think it's kind of flipped, as you said, that he's a glove first guy now. And I think he's good at shortstop. I, you know, I think I put a 55 on him there. I think he could handle it at the major league level. Um, I think the problem is just the bat is super light. You know, he has trouble making contact 
and we saw him against major league pitching and it didn't go that well um i think as you said you know the ceiling is like a a bench infielder and you know it's just it's all going to come down at the plate with him you know he's got the glove going it's just can he figure something out with the plate whether it be maybe he goes home and does a swing change this offseason not be surprised at all if that was the case um, but yeah, I think it's just the, the lack of offensive ability is what kind of has pushed him down this year for us. And similar thing with him and as like, you know, he was, he was super raw. He would sh- show flashes. And I just think that he's just kind of regressed across the board. He's less athletic than he used to be. Still doesn't hit for any power. It's still a pretty slappy approach that speed based approach. And it's just the type of profile that just doesn't, doesn't really work in this day and age. Um, you know, he he's got a really poor approach his chase rate is among the highest in the systems he can't hit velocity at all um it's one of the lower you know ops's against or you know he just really struggles to hit velocity um and yeah i just he doesn't hit the ball very hard but he's still pretty good at you know using his speed to get on base and that's why his numbers are still respectable and that's you know that's kind of what what keeps pushing him down for us is that you know the reports are just like and i've seen him too it's just there's, he's struggling against you know low minor low minors a, a, a ball pitching. You're like what's he going to do against more advanced pitching? And I just don't have confidence that he will has enough bat to be able to carry himself, um, you know, beyond up into the big leagues with the kind of the swing he's working with and the approach he has right now. Right, right. All right, uh, Chili. Any other while we have Ian here? Any other questions you want to ask uh, before we wrap it up? Um. Not, 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 not really. Um, I just really want to thank you for, you know, being on the pod and just, you know, we, we so that we can like pick your brain on like all of these, you know, lower level guys. So thank you for being on the pod. Uh, yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's always fun to come on and talk shop. Um, you guys do a great job and I enjoy listening. So, uh, it's always fun to come on and, you know, get to contribute a little bit. Yeah, we, we really appreciate that. Um, you can follow Ian at uh, Ian Cundall, I-A-N-C-U-N-D-A-L-L. You can follow me at Bob Osgood 15 Shelly at ShellyV underscore 643, uh, all on Twitter. And again, Ian has the SoxProspects.com and also the SoxProspects podcast, which I believe you are recording after this. So just a marathon night for, for you here. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you jumping on here first and, uh, you know, Best of luck the rest of the season with the site, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again, uh, hopefully next year. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you, and uh, we will see you all soon on the On Deck Podcast.